0: Alright, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fuckologists? How are you? Mark Marin here. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it, if you're new to it. Or uh, I just, uh, you know, I'm in the habit of saying welcome. I hope uh, hope everyone's having an okay Monday already. Or, you know, yeah do what you can. Oh, God damn it. How's it going? You alright? So today, on the show, Alfred Molina is here. Uh, which is great. One of the great actors, very exciting guy, very exciting to talk to. And of course, of course I talked to him about that scene. Come on. Um, he's got He's, he, he's constantly working. I, right now he's a voice actor on the 10-part the narrative mystery podcast, The Angel of Vine. You can get that where you get podcasts and you can listen to me and Alfred talk in a few minutes. I have some housekeeping though. I have a, a bit of housekeeping, a couple of things. Couple of things in relation to the last episode, the Gary Clark episode, which I'm so happy that people enjoyed so much. We had a very nice time. I might see him in Austin. Did I mention I'm going to Austin? Have I mentioned that? I've, been, you know, I don't know if I've gotten you up to date, but let's do the housekeeping first, which is I was talking about Jason Isbell, who made a statement on Twitter, which was old guitars aren't really all that special. And uh, I, I didn't do any research. I don't know why I just saw that part of it. But I don't want to misrepresent Jason's view of old guitars because the tweet he was responding to was, if you were kidnapped and were being forced to tweet so things appeared normal, what would you tweet to alert us you need help? Old guitars aren't really all that special. So it's the exact opposite, which makes more sense. But, you know, I'm willing to believe shit at face value at first until someone calls me out and says, dude, that was, a, that was an ironic. So uh, so I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea about Jason. The other thing, and I'm going to talk about Jason more in a minute. The other thing is that Magic Sam piece that I was obsessed with and, and, and am obsessed with that I played for at the beginning of the Gary Clark thing, which was a conversation we had, is actually called, it's not called Sam's Boogie. It's actually called Looking Good, and it's actually a cut on... Um, on the West Side Soul album, which I have, and I didn't realize I had it, and I didn't realize that song was on there because that live version is just so crazy on fire. And the unlive, unlive, not live version of it is a little more um, laid back, but you know, probably a little m- more of a portal or a key to how to learn how to play it. Okay. So, that being said, while we're in the music groove here, uh, I, as you know, there, There have been many musical guests on this show. Many of them have played and almost all of them, I would say all of those moments for me are beyond anything I can even imagine. I mean, to have people play guitar and sing right in front of you, literally three feet away from me in front of you, right here. And I'm just it's just me and them in here. And I'm just on my dumb little mixer trying to make it sound right, trying to make the levels not peak. I'm no master engineer, but I've recorded some amazing people in here, and it's been some of the most amazing experiences in my life. and people have always asked us, me and Brendan, that being about putting together a compilation of these songs, you know, from the show, and we always wanted to, but it's a tricky thing to do logistically. so good news. We got hooked up with the folks at Newberry Comics who were interested in doing uh, like a something, yeah, something with us and, and in partnership with them. We've put together, uh, I think, something really special. Record Store Day is on April 13th. And for this year's Record Store Day, we're releasing an exclusive limited edition vinyl album called In the Garage Live Music from WTF with Mark Marin. And it's got some great performances on it. Okay, these are 10 acoustic performances with uh, Jay Maskus, Melissa Etheridge, E from Eels, uh, Karen Kilgariff. Ben Harper and Charlie Musselwhite, Nick Lowe, Margot Price, Jason Isbell, Amy Mann, and Dave Alvin. And I actually play uh, with Dave Alvin on that track. I mean, all these artists in responding to this record uh, were extremely generous in allowing their performances to be featured on the album. And uh, Brendan and I are donating our proceeds to the charity Musicians on Call, who bring music to the patients of healthcare facilities and uh bring a little joy uh, into their day. So, Record Store Day 2019 is happening April 13th, so you can pick up your copy then. Participating stores can be found at recordstoreday.com. And I listened to the test pressing of this thing. And it's pretty it you know when you you heard the the list of artists that I just told you about and like why if you put their produced music uh, you know, from their albums up against each other, it would seem very odd. You know, it probably wouldn't fit together, but they all fit beautifully together because it's recorded in the same way. Very simply, very. I'm not going to say badly because I use pretty good mics, but, uh, but basically the setup here is, it's the same mic that we talk into. It's an SM7, a Shure SM7. I don't have any effects. I don't know how to use even this very simple mixer. So I just stick that mic in their face, and I stick a mic uh, in front of their guitar. Back in the day, it was a Blue Encore 200, only because I had them, and then I would just sit here, and it's on one track. They're not even separate tracks. I record on one track of GarageBand. So any conversation, it makes it difficult, probably, it's certainly difficult to to do any remastering or, or work with the song after the fact. But for me and Brendan, it's pretty, even then, you know, two tracks would be nice, but uh, I don't. So all of these recordings are done the same way, you know, except for the uh, the Jason Isbell one. So with that as the through line, basically with the garage uh, and my way of recording people, which is very raw and straight up, uh, it, it provides a connector and it, all the performances are, are relative you know, or, or, you know, done like that. These are all just people with guitars and a harmonica in the case of Charlie Musselwhite, White. And they all fit together because you just hear the artist, you know, with a guitar. And I tell you, man, uh, I, you know, I can't, like, I can't tell you how I like talking to people, of course, but there's also something about these recordings that I think are, are exactly like what happens here. Uh, all these were done, I believe, in the old garage. But these performances were great. And every one of them. sitting across from Jay Mascus with his antique Gibson, just going at it. It's just amazing. Melissa Etheridge is probably one of the most charismatic and, and moving performances I've ever seen in this place. In, in my old garage. E was great. Karen Kilgariff made me cry. Ben Harper and Charlie Musselwhite. Charlie Musselwhite is one of the last of the great old harp players. Nick Lowe singing The Beast and Me, because I asked him, great. Margot Price, come on. Amy Mann, solid. And me and Dave Alvin, Dave being very gracious, letting me play with him. But the Jason Isbell one is the only one that wasn't recorded here in the garage. And I've told this story before, but just so you know, you know, in relation to us talking about music, in relation to us talking about this release of this record... Jason Isbell, I didn't know a lot about him or his music until I realized that we were both going to be doing the same show up in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, I think. We were were both on an episode of Wits, that uh, radio show, that podcast. So I, I got in touch with him probably through Twitter initially, and I said we should talk, and then I got caught up on his work. And then we got there, and I met him at that show, and we did the show, and he'd been on the road for weeks, and we were staying in the same hotel. And late, and that night at about 1230, one o'clock, I went and interviewed him in his room. And then I sat there with him with his guitar. He had a guitar. It was in a hotel room. We we're both exhausted. He, he probably more than me. And I sat in front of him and I held the mics. I held one mic to his guitar and I handheld one mic to his face. And I sat in a chair right in front of him. And he did that song Elephant. And it was one of the most moving musical experiences I've had in my life. It's a very intimate, odd recording, almost like a field recording of a song that that is a powerful song and and heartbreaking in its own right. But just the uh, the intimacy of the recording process was pretty crazy. But uh, that's on there. So, okay. so I guess I'm just telling you my experience with these things and uh, that 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 album will be available from Newberry Comics on Record Store Day 2019. Uh, it's happening April 13th. You can get a copy then and you can find participating stores at recordstoreday.com. And I imagine that you can go ahead and, and tell them if you have a store that you are in relationship with, you can tell them maybe they could get you one. So, yeah, I'll get you up to speed here. Uh, you know what I did? I you know, I put the uh, the old rug from the old garage up in uh, one of the bedrooms in my house here that's going to be sort of an office ish kind of space I unrolled that rug and I and I I remember I had vacuumed it when I got to this house out on the fr- out in the front yard and then I brought it up into the bedroom last night and I vacuumed it again it was just like inches and inches of dust and I just I and I've talked about this before and in, in, ter- in relation to that fucking rug but here it is in a new place in a new home and all that dust from all those talks little bits of skin and Pieces of dirt from the journeys of my guests—it's just sort of weird. It was like the you know the history of WTF in dust. I could make that available. Would anyone like a vial of a uh, WTF dust from the uh, from I guess uh, skin and hair and things that come off of the guests? Any any hundred? I got to assume some of that shit's been in there since the beginning. You never know how the things lodge. A history in dust, but now I, I threw it away. Should I, should I kept it? What do you keep shit for? Why am I even keeping that rug? I have had that rug forever. It's been through several apartments, a house, and then it ended up in the garage. But uh, you know, it, you attach meaning, you attach meaning. Yeah, that rug. It's a magic carpet, man. Yeah, man. Magic carpet. Mm-hmm. Bam bam chick da 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 down, da down. I like to I don't even know the words to that. Magic carpet ride, but so, yeah, I'm going to uh, be at South by Southwest for a few days this week. Uh, the premiere of the film, The Sword of Trust, that I am in, uh, Lynn Shelton film, a completely improvised movie. It was uh, shot, I mean, I, th- I think some of you were with me during this. It was shot in Birmingham, Alabama. It was, uh, it's, it's me, Jillian Bell, uh, John Bass, Uh, Michaela Watkins uh, uh, are the primary characters. Lynn Shelton directed it and has a small role in it. Dan Backdahl is also in it. Toby Huss is in it, uh, among a few other people from the area. And uh, we improvised that in about three weeks. And now it's a movie and it got into South by Southwest and the premiere is Friday night. All the music for the film is... um, Music that was played here in this garage or in the other garage. We, she kind of, Lynn took a lot of my guitar pieces and layered them throughout the movie. And then the the song under the credits, the instrumental under the credits is something that me and Tall Wilkenfeld uh, wrote and uh, played in a studio with some amazing musicians. Doyle Bramhall, one of them. And well, anyway, so I'm going to be at South by Southwest for just a few nights and more importantly, uh, in terms of that trip, there you know, the premiere is exciting, but Opie's Barbecue, Opie's, going to go to Opie's and Spicewood, always great. So, yes, I'm looking forward to the movie premiere and doing press for that and uh, being part of that. But uh, I don't know. It's pretty pretty 50 50, you know, movie premiere Opie's. Alfred Molina, obviously one of everyone's favorite actors. Maybe you don't know that, but he is, and uh, it was it was definitely a great, you know, honor and exciting thing to talk to him. And he lives not far from me, which made it even better for him. You can hear him currently as a voice actor on the ten part narrative mystery podcast, The Angel of Vine, which is available wherever you, wherever you get the podcasts, and uh, and you've seen him in everything you've seen him in. Go look him up if you're like who, because that's crazy. This is me talking to Alfred Molina. How long have you lived in up in this area? Only about a year and a half.
1: It's, um, it's, I lived in I lived in Hollywood before that because uh, you had to. No, just because it's just <laughs> it's just where we ended up. You know, there was. Uh, when we, when we first arrived in the states uh we arrived in new york and uh the uh when was that that was 90 th- 93 uh-huh uh and i'd been coming here to work um on and off since the mid 80s yeah but always just for a specific job or something yeah. like that and this time uh we came out and it, we kind of made a conscious effort decision to uh, to live here and you know to do the LA thing, do the LA thing. Yeah. But we arrived in New York and I was we were hoping to stay in New York, yeah. But then my then agent kind of said, "Oh no, you know you you've you got to be where the action is." Blah blah blah. Right. And come to LA. So we kind of came to LA, and uh, but what I didn't realize in my naivety at the time was that LA Hollywood is not the center of the film industry it's the center of where they'd make the it's the center of the film business yeah right you know it's yeah. where the deals are made it's where you know it's not where the work is made not not as much anymore no and and we could have easily i mean i can see now we could have easily have stayed in new york which we preferred um
0: but then you're gonna you know. afford, you'd be
1: flying out here every other week yeah and but you know what i that's not so bad <laughs> <laughs> I
0: mean,
1: you know it's not like if yeah, they fly you and they take care of you. Yeah, it's you, it's uh, you can still do it. You can still go back to New York. I could, I could. But you know, now of course, I think we missed out. We sort of missed the boat a little bit. I think because you missed all- the window to get the uh, yeah. to buy the building in Brooklyn. That's right. Yeah, we, when things were cheap. I mean, it's uh, mind you, I've always been, I've always had terrible luck with with buying houses like that we've always i've always seemed to sold when the market was low (laughs) and bought when the market (laughs) was our high yeah it's that i've never been one of those people you know i have friends who are like that friends who kind of do do things like oh got this for a steal you know yeah you know i got you know and they'll say things like there's all these buzz words like you know i bought when the i bought it when you know when it was a when it sank i bought this when it was good and Aren't I, they I, annoying Those people They piss me off A little bit Because Because <laughs> it's Because what they're saying there is what they're, they're not celebrating The fact that they've had A stroke of good luck They're celebrating And lording it over you Of how stupid you are That you didn't manage To do the same thing yeah, It's have, a kind of It's a kind of Modesty brag Combined with a sort of Slap around the face <laughs> yeah, it, You yeah. know It's like you know, I could do this And you didn't right, you It have, always reminds It reminds yeah. me Of that great thing That Chevy Chase Used to do When he was on uh, Saturday Night Live When he was When he would. So you would say, hi, I'm Chevy Chase and you're, you're not. not. Yeah, yeah. It's like, hi, I'm a, I'm a lucky fucker and you're not. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: you don't have the foresight or the wisdom <laughs> or right. anything you, you're, right. or the luck. Yeah. You can't, yeah. how do you function in the world? I'm a lover, you're a loser. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, But the thing is, like, I don't know about you, but I buy, when I'm, I've only owned two houses in my life and uh, I live in them. I don't, I don't ever think, like, right. I, I always think they're too expensive, the two I've bought. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And and you and, carry
1: you carry the resentment around with you.
0: A little bit. But 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 it turned out the other mean. one, the little one, that, that went crazy over there in Highland Park. It went cra- like when I bought that house I thought like this is who would pay this much money <laughs> for a, th- a less than a thousand square feet <laughs> and like what what little I knew that like yeah, now yeah. it's crazy. But but I buy places to live there. Those kind of people a lot of people don't get attached to, to places. Oh, exactly. They, exactly. Yeah. I mean I I think
1: you 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 know it's that it's that moment when when a house turns into a home, yeah, you know, it, it, and it's all to do with. I mean, you know, the, good luck. You know, I, when people kind of brag about, you know, how they've made money on houses, that that's fine. And and I, you know, and I've I've had good experiences and bad experiences. This is
0: only this is only the third house that I've actually owned. Right. So you like to uh, live um, places. You're yeah. not thinking like I'm yeah. going to buy this and I'm going to. You're not thinking when you buy it that you're going to sell it.
1: No, no. I'm, I I never think of the house as. A possible investment yeah. or something that is going to make me money in in the years to come. You know, right? It's just, I mean, the house in Hollywood. I was in there for, I was in there since ninety five. I was there for the best part of twenty five years. And you lived in the hills? Yeah, no, we lived. Uh, we, I, <laughs> I, I, we lived in what was told. I was the, the realtor said we were Hollywood Hills adjacent. Oh, so. Not you know, the hills. Not the hills. <laughs> it was like you know, we we saw the hills at the top of my street. It was there was suddenly this precipitous rise. Yeah, yeah. But, where, uh, where those you know, houses were, <laughs> yeah. you could see the houses that were in the yeah. hills. And, and, and I remember the, the realtor saying, uh, "And you're really close to Sunset Boulevard, and that's where the action is." <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, I, and the first action I was aware of on my street it was. We moved there when the neighborhood wasn't so yeah. gentrified as it is now. And the se- the third night, I think the third or f- certainly within the first week that we yeah. were there, in bed, one o'clock in the morning, there's some noise outside. I get up, I look out the window, and there's a hooker in our driveway. Working? Well, she's making a deal with someone. She's having a little <laughs> argument with some guy. I don't know. They were Maybe they were just negotiating the deal. And... Uh, <laughs> and my, my wife said, "What's that?" And I knew, I knew. If I said to her, "There's a hooker in the driveway," she, she'd have packed a bag and gone. Yeah. So I just went, "Ah, oh, kids."
0: <laughs> you know, because I just, yeah. I just knew that she wouldn't have borne that. So, well, uh, but, be, but now it's kind of, it's, it's, it's kind fancy. of smartened up now. When I got my house over in the other place in Highland Park, like within a week, someone had tagged my wall. They'd spray painted. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, holy shit. I'm it's already someone else's territory." What I, what is happening? Mm-hmm. And uh but it leveled off. But mm-hmm. you you grew up you were in England most of your life. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I
1: didn't I didn't come to I didn't come to uh the states until i was in my 40s really yeah yeah so
0: where'd you like
1: what was uh where'd you grow up in england i don't know up, uh, i grew up in london i was i uh my my just quick my background is basically my parents were my father was spanish my mother was italian They what did he do my father was a waiter yeah and uh my mother cleaned hotel rooms she was, she a, was italian a, like italian she, italian? It, italian italian Italian, not italian American. <laughs> I, I I did an interview once and someone and I said someone said oh, and your mother was uh, your mother was Italian and I and I said yeah she's Ita- she was Italian and the interviewer said uh, from uh, New York <laughs> Brooklyn I said no no Italy <laughs> she's not Italian American and your dad was Spanish
0: yeah from Spain from
1: Spain that's
0: Ma- <laughs> right yeah. <laughs> yeah Madrid really yeah just outside Madrid either. I've been there <laughs> I've I was in uh, oh no I haven't I was in Barcelona. Do you now make so, your mind up Mike. I'm just trying to seem international I spent a week in Italy and I was in Barcelona briefly I, I don't know how to speak Spanish or Italian but I have walked through the areas but but uh, so did you were you did you grow up with the languages yeah yeah my uh
1: my parents my parents kind of both of them they they had finished their formal education by the time they were like 15 16. My dad was a, uh, worked as a laborer in Spain before he kind of joined up with some trade union militia, and he was, he was, an, he was a refugee from the Civil War in Spain. Oh, really? And he arrived in England uh, just in time for World War II. Oh man! So he couldn't go back to Spain. So he uh, he he just signed up. He signed up to the British Army. So after the revolution in Spain, because he was on the uh... he was at he he were, he was in a trade union militia. He was on the Republican side. He was fighting at, 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 at fighting Franco. Uh huh.
0: And they they got pushed out.
1: Yeah, the, uh, there was uh, a lot of uh, a lot of refugees um, who were political refugees. They they went. Um, a lot of them joined the refugee trail into France. Yeah. And uh, from there, they kind of scattered around the world, really. Uh, many went to South America, Latin America. My dad went to France. Um, it's here where the family history gets a bit murky. Yeah. He spent some time in France, certainly enough time to learn how to speak French. Yeah. And then he ended up somehow. He ended up in um, in in England.
0: Murky, like a well kept secret. Murky, well,
1: murky, like (laughs) no. I never quite found out what he was doing. That my mother. I remember my mother once told me, "Oh yeah, yeah, your your father was in the Foreign Legion," and and I think uh, that sounds a bit fanciful to me. You know, because I think. From Probably. what I know, the foreign legion, once you're in, it's really, really hard. To, you can't just pop in for a few months and kind of go, you know, guys, I'm good. You know? uh, and I, and uh, so anyway, the, he, he arrived in England in uh, top of thirty nine, nineteen thirty nine. 1939. My mother emigrated from Italy after the war. She arrived in England in 1947. And she she got a job uh, as a chambermaid in a hotel where my dad was working in the restaurant as a waiter. Ah, and that's where they met. So they'd pass each other in the hallway. And, I guess, yeah, as yeah. they were changing into their outfits. And, and that uh, he stayed in that in that job his whole life. His whole life, yeah. He was he was a waiter, bartender. Um, he was a. a
0: he was a restaurant manager for a while. Um, it's and- a certain deal in in England, I guess. When you you know when you you have your your health care covered, and also there's some there's a union to to it too, isn't there? Oh yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, you- I mean,
1: this was this was just I mean, just after the war, uh, it was really the beginning of what became known as the welfare state. Uh huh. Um, you know where you had uh, universal health care, you uh, a free education, um, all of that stuff. And I mean, I I. I think I may be part of the last generation in England who I got educated from the age of five to 25 and I didn't pay a penny. And It was a good education. And it was a good education. I went to a good. I went to good schools, uh, parochial schools. They were Catholic schools. Yeah. And I went to drama school. I got, I got my degree at drama school, and you know, and that was it. I mean, there I mean, all I had to all I had to find was like my pocket money, you know. Right. All, but all my tuition, all my school expenses were all covered. It's
0: a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah. There, and there was no shame in the working class then. Not at all. There was. Yeah. A great, there was. In fact, it, it's quite the opposite. There was yeah. a great deal of pride. You know, there was a movement after the war there was a movement where uh the working class had ha- had a kind of profile and and people were you know, it was clear that there was many, many talented people in the working class and, and all that they were lacking, they weren't lacking the skills or yes. the talent or the ability. What they were lacking was the opportunity. Right. And that was given to them by uh, successive governments after, after
0: World War Two. But it's always, it strikes me like in growing up in England that you do, there is sort of a, a, a class system. Oh, completely. And yeah. like, it, it, they, no one talks about it here, you but, know. Yeah, but it, 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 there's a class system here too. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but I think I think I think the
1: difference between the systems, in a way, is that here it's 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 a meritocracy here. I mean, it, and and also it's it's kind of it's all about how you
0: it's all about whether you have money. <laughs> it's a, it's a meritocracy, and but it's also it, it, what what the merit could be is just your ability <laughs> to bullshit and hustle. So it's, it's and not, make money. Yeah, and yeah. make money. Right. I mean, that's you know, a, if yeah. you can make money, then then it doesn't. It, it seemingly at, at this point, especially with this president, it doesn't. It doesn't fucking matter how. Yeah. i tell say here's here's the thing. Here's here's the difference that I. I. This is my theory. Yeah.
1: When you talk to an American, mm-hmm. when you're talking to someone from America, like you, me, yeah, you hear the accent. Right. Now, all I can tell from your accent yeah. is I can maybe have a vague guess at where you might be from. Hmm. But your accent doesn't give me any information about your education, Mm-mm. your your financial status, yeah. uh, how you were raised or anything right. like that. When you talk to a Brit, yeah. all that information is in
0: there in, in their accent. In seconds.
1: You can kind of tell, you know, yeah. you, you, uh, he's middle class, he's working class, he's upper class, he's had an education, she hasn't. Yeah. You know, you can. there's all that, and it's all subtle, it's all subliminal, but all that info is there. And as Brits, we kind of, we respond to it and act on it. Yeah. You know, so someone comes in, I remember being, when I was a student, Constantly being told about, you know, you've got to, you've got to neutralise your accent. my first, my first agent actually said to me, "You really got to calm down with the London accent, because otherwise, you're going to be playing Spanish waiters all your life." <laughs> Because <laughs> my name was Alfredo, yeah, you know, and he was saying drop the O or change it. And I, but I mean, now it on. was that o- like it was that obvious. Like, yeah. London was a bad oh, accent. Yeah.
0: What was the preferable
1: when accent? It was, like, when, I, when, I, when I went to drama school, my accent was a lot more kind of a lot rougher than it is now. I mean, I, I, I s- sweetened it up, you know, because I took his advice. This was nineteen seventy one. But why, how, why, and why then
0: I it know? just sticks. Or are, you, yeah, are, you just... or are you putting on an effort now? No, no, no. <laughs> this is now how I talk. But it, but I think that's
1: that's after years and years of. You know, kind of like what did you and, used to sound like? Well, it was all sort of a bit like that, you know, a bit kind of thrown back in the mouth, you yeah, know, a bit kind of you know, oh, hello, hello, Mark, you know, all yeah. right. And, <laughs> and but, but of course, now when I do it, it does feel to me affected, yeah, when you do your old accent, yeah. But when I well at the time, it was just the way I mean, every now and again, my 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 uh, my daughter said to me once, she said, Dad, when you get I so I can really hear. The London, when you get angry. Oh, there it comes. Know? Yeah. Because it suddenly, it's kind yeah. of, you know, suddenly it yeah. goes from, you know, it goes from this to kind of like,
0: I fucking told you. <laughs> 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 How many more times? <laughs> That's interesting. That's you what go, it comes but out. Then, it's it's but then still makes, in there.
1: It makes sense because we all, you know, at those moments of high
0: emotion, we always betray ourselves. You know? Right. Or, or or you betray yourselves, but no, but you're, you're probably being more honest on some level. Hmm. Yeah, that's true, that's you know, true. like then that's when people go, that's who you yeah, are. That's the real that's Fred Molina. I yeah. see it now. <laughs> you faker. <laughs> but so what was the education? Where did you go to drama school? I, I went to the Guildhall
1: School of Music and Drama, or uh, as it was known then, the Guildhall School of Screech and Trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we And it was a very good education. You know, it was it was a kind of classical education. It was, uh, you know, this was the very early 70s. But did you do? Were you doing it in in high school or whatever you? Call oh yeah, it? yeah. When I when I was at high, well, yeah, our version of high was yeah. secondary school. Yeah, I went to a, a Roman Catholic secondary school for boys. Were you very Catholic? No, no. My parents sent me there just in case. In case what? Yeah, there was uh, a god. Just in case there was a god. <laughs> you know, my my parents my parents were not what I call kind of. They were like part-time Catholics, you know. Well, Spanish in Spain and Italy, those are big yeah. Catholic I mean, strongholds. They were, they were raised. They were raised Catholic, yeah. but they weren't practicing. Right. In fact, in fact, if anything, my father was actually very anti-clerical. Yeah. He had some experiences during the civil war that kind of, really kind of turned him off. The church Catholic and, fascists? Yeah, they're yeah, all the Catholic fascists. Yeah. And uh, and my mother was just, you know, so they sent me to a Catholic. I no, mean, I, I, was, I was baptized. Right. They sent me to a Catholic school. Right. Uh, but that was partly because it was a good school and it was the nearest one to where we lived. Sure. You know, my so.
0: brother went to a Catholic high school and he's a Jew. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my parents' choices weren't quite so stark. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. <get it. laughs> yeah, there was some point where my brother went to like some school, and he came home singing a song about you know Jesus loving him, and my parents were a little taken aback. <laughs> Had a, sort of set him straight with the vague notion that uh, we don't do the Jesus thing. <laughs> we're not sure what we do, but it's not
1: that. It's not that. <laughs> that's, right, that's right. That's right. I remember. I remember like, coming home from school one day. I, I was. I, I was. This was primary school. So yeah. I must have. I was younger than ten, certainly. I remember coming home and telling my dad that one of the priests or one of the nuns at school had told me off because um, I hadn't gone to – I'd said that we didn't go to mass. Yeah. And the nun had said something like, well, you know, you're going – you know, there's a good chance that, you know, people who don't go to mass will go to hell. Yeah. Something like that. And I told my dad, and he hit the roof. He was so – he was so – I'd never never seen my dad – it was scary, scary actually he was like screaming and shouting in Italian Spanish and, and he went down to the school <laughs> he went down to the school yeah. uh, the next day and he kind of just was screaming at the headmistress, and just you know and after that I was. What was the? What was he screaming about? Well, he was just basically just saying, you know, don't talk to my son this way. you say these things to my kid. You know, sort of. uh, I I I remember he said something about I know about you people. I saw I saw things in Spain. I you know and and uh, he told me this story. Yeah, that he had seen in the in the bowels of some church. He had seen. Uh sort of the bones or the the, the of, of babies. Mm-hmm. And he believed this. This may well have been just him swallowing, you know, propaganda. Yeah. But he said that these were the, these were the bones of babies who had been born from nuns uh-huh. and how they'd been killed and kept there secretly or, so, you know, all this kind of weird wacky stuff. But then I and, I, and I remember thinking, oh, come on, you know, he's, he's probably, he's probably exaggerating. Yeah. But then of course you talk to kind of hardline Catholics and you kind of know that there's there's all that sh- there's all that shit in the background, um, you know there's the, 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 layers the, the, and layers the, the, of yeah, and you kinda and you start thinking, well maybe yeah, there's just maybe man. there was a there were elements of truth in that, but anyway, on that day he was yeah. absolutely furious. But the irony, of course, was that he scared the bejesus out of me because he was so angry. But when I went back to school the day after, I was like the hero for a couple of days. You know, hey, your dad, your dad, your dad told Mary's sister, Mary Kevin, that she was an old asshole. So I was like, you know. I you started like, a revolution. Yeah, I was, I, I was on the cool kid for about, yeah. you know, a day. Yeah, you, you fought the fight against <laughs> hell. That's right. So, but you were acting then? I, no, I didn't not start. Not 10, but it... No, made. not a 10, but I, I, I know that... <laughs> around that time we used to do this thing in school it was i think it was just a way of filling the last hour of the of the last of the friday we used to do this thing where uh we would kind of put on little plays put on little shows and i just remember doing a little thing a little skit that i'd worked out with my chum yeah and getting a laugh right and you know, and I, this is a story you hear a million times from performers. You know, that the, first the, laugh, the moment, yeah, that you kind of go, oh yeah, 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 this is this is this is <laughs> it, this is this is it. <laughs> now I had no idea. You know, I, my mother told me once that I was nine years old when I first said I want to be an actor, but I can't believe for a moment that at that age I had any idea of what it implied or what the, you know, what was involved, right. You were just I, a showman, I was a show-off. Yeah. I, I was a show, and in fact, um, years later, when I was doing a, <laughs> I was doing my first leading role on Broadway for which play uh, it was a play called art mm. oh yeah and uh, and it was a huge success and and my old drama teacher from high school who who i 'd stayed friends with this guy was a very very, very important part of my life. And uh, he came with his, with his partner to come and see the show in, in New York, which I was thrilled about. From England. Yeah. And I took him and his partner out to dinner with another friend of mine who happened to be in town. And my friend Andy turned around to Martin and, and said, So, Martin, um, when you were teaching Fred at school, was, was he a good actor? And Martin instantly kind of went, No, he was a dreadful actor, but he was a marvellous show-off. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, so, so that's how I started. I was what, a terrific show. What child. was great this guy's name was Martin? Martin Corbett. And, yeah. and he just encouraged you. What?
1: Yeah, he his uh his first day at school as a teacher was my first day there as a student. Uh-huh. And he he was he was he came in as I think he was deputy head of the English department. And the, one of the first things he did was he started a Wednesday night drama club. And he started uh, teaching plays and yeah. putting on plays at the end of each semester and oh, of course I was like I was happy as a pig in shit I mean I, I thought it was just the most fantastic thing I lived for
0: those Wednesday nights is it it's weird how like that one guy or that one teacher in high school can change your whole life yeah, he did I he was the first adult apart from my mother
1: who I sort of confided in and said I, you know I want to be an actor and I he this is what martin basically said okay i'll do whatever i can to help you but the minute you drop the ball i'm washing my hands of you what does that mean basically what he meant was if you're serious i'll be serious and i'll help you but in high school yeah but if you're being but if you you know if you're being flippant or you don't or you don't put 100 effort into this i don't want anything to do with you wow he and, really yeah he, and, and i was like a little i was a little taken aback by that by that approach but actually I really appreciate it because he gave me reading lists he gave me things to look at he 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 suggested plays I should read movies I should see really like yeah. why well, kind of just just stuff that was appropriate and that would that but, would help me understand what being you, an actor was going to be like. But you never would you would never know about them hadn't he told you? Not really, no. Yeah. Then, you know, he's in the, certainly not the plays. He said you need to start if you want to if you're serious about being an actor, you've got to start reading plays like he, Shakespeare. Yeah, Shakespeare, Noel Coward, George Bernard Shaw. You know, all that stuff stuff which in the normal traffic of events probably I wouldn't have been exposed to. Yeah, you need that guy. Yeah, and, and he was he was and he he. Was uh, he did things like when I auditioned for drama school, for instance, in my second last year, my last year at school. Uh, I had to, I got in, I got a place at drama school, and then I auditioned in front of a board, yeah, um, of the local educational authority for a grant, so I could, you know, I could afford to go to college. Yeah. College. And I forgot my lines in the audition, and they turned me down. Oh, So I was heartbroken. I went back to the school. I told Martin what had happened, and he wrote a very impassioned letter to the board saying, please, this young man is talented. Give him another chance. He was nervous. You know, uh, I guarantee you he'll be spot on next time. And he really fought for me, and and I got another audition, and I passed, and I got my grant.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Like, what movies did he
1: make you watch? Uh, Well, I think it was things like... um it was, I tell you what, it was, the, the, I can't remember the title of it now, but there's that wonderful movie with Tony Curtis and Sidney Poitier about the escaped convicts. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, in the Heat of the Night, yeah. he told me to look at. Um, he told me to look at movies like Lawrence of Arabia um, and all these comedies, all the all these Ealing, these were like old movies, yeah. which would, would would turn up on TV. So he said, you know, make an effort, watch these movies. Was it The Defiant Ones? Is that, That's it, The yeah, Defiant right. Ones, yeah. Oh, I can't you
0: know. believe I remembered that. And it, neither can you. Neither can my, I, but, my, I'm, but I'm, I'm thankful. My, <laughs> my brain rarely works. I just want to make it clear. I did that without googling. I did that. Yes, r- I can verify that. I'm standing. I'm yeah, sitting right did, directly opposite him. Did not touch my keyboard. <laughs> that, I just remembered that. It's a real. T- uh, it's, a, it's a rare thing. So, all right. So, but like the education, like. I mean, you've done so many different roles, and you're you're con- like uh, you're constantly working. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, t- touch wood. Uh, that that's been the case. Uh, I, I've been very fortunate that way. But very like, fortunate. what was the you know because I, I you know I do a little acting myself now, and I know my listeners get tired of me now now that now that I'm acting a bit, and whenever I have actors on, I'm like, so what's uh, what's your process? <laughs> so, <laughs> but but the education is because I didn't have any of that education. But I mean, you you were classically trained. Yeah, and and it was and I you know
1: that was the kind of that was the traditional and accepted and expected uh, journey was to you know go to drama school and uh, get trained and then but that was what
0: Shakespeare the classics yeah yeah
1: yeah, the we didn't the most contemporary play that we actually worked on in my drama school was written in 1939. Mm. Everything else was. Before that, you know, it was all kind of everything we looked at was in the classical canon. But that was the way that was the way that uh, drama was taught in those days. And I mean, what, now it's very different.
0: Sure. But like like in doing that, you know, what, what exactly what paces are you sort of walking through that that stay with you? I mean, like, you know, when you're just doing if you're doing Shakespeare or you're doing uh, I don't know, you're doing Greeks, too. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what what what, what does that programming your brain i think what it ge-
1: i think what it gives you is an understanding of the the history of the tradition that you are now joining. Uh, right you know and and it's it's a bit like uh you know it's a bit like the old adage about you know Breaking the rules is great, but you got to know what the rules are first. Sure, sure. And I think that's essentially what it is. You know, you 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 in order to in order to kind of express and 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 kind of break new ground, you have to understand how that ground arrived there in the first place.
0: Right, or else you're just uh, you're just a cheater you're, and an yeah, idiot. You, and well, kind of, or you're or you're,
1: you're just can't kind be of trusted, or, or 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 you don't have a context for what you're doing. You know, it's it's uh, you know, I remember the first time I heard very kind of out there free-form jazz yeah uh cecil taylor sure people like that and i didn't get it at all i'm kind of going what is this it just sounds like people just kind of making noise and then it was a, a friend of mine who was a jazz fan said no, no no you gotta understand these guys they could play you anything you ask them to play they they've arrived they've they've journeyed here to get here they've they,
0: journeyed to fuck you they, yeah they haven't just <laughs> they haven't just landed
1: and kind of gone hey what's this a saxophone
0: oh I'll, what does this do but this you is know. the 70s you said yeah i was at drama school from 72 to 75 so when you get out i mean is the heyday of experimental uh british theater is it, it's a little it's already going it's already oh yeah
1: yeah there was uh when i when i came out of drama school there was a very healthy alternative theatre circuit and a theatre scene. There were lots of small companies kind of applying for project grants and so on, and they were doing some really interesting work. There was a big explosion in, uh, in in feminist theater in 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 kind of gay theater alternative theater there was loads of these wonderful disparate voices people making work making theater you yeah. know sometimes they do it in a garage or they do it in a small little black box somewhere in the middle of nowhere they would tour that you know touring art centers working class working men's Did you do social clubs yeah yeah i i worked with two companies uh, one company was called 784 and the other company was called Belt and Braces. And we, took, and we took shows that had a very strong political content and we took them on tour to colleges and, and uh, working men's social clubs and stuff like that.
0: And what in, in 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 how was the reaction? I mean, were
1: well, these- the reaction was was uh, depending on the quality of the show. Right. The reaction was good. Sometimes it was not so good. Uh, we did a play. Um, uh, we did the, for instance, with Seven Eighty Four. Uh, with sorry, with Belt and Braces. I did the what was then the original British production of a Dario Fo play called Accidental Death of an Anarchist. Oh yeah, I remember that. And that was a that was a hugely kind of successful. We had a very successful tour. It went to the West End eventually, but without me uh and uh, you know it it was it was a time when there was a lot of public money available for art for art yeah. in all its forms art theater music you know for fine arts there was a there was a generosity within the, from with state money yeah and that started to shrink once uh, margaret thatcher became prime minister when you know, it all there's always there's always a blossoming of public money for the arts whenever there's a Labour government in power. Yeah. As soon as the Conservatives get back in, it all starts to shrink again. And did you find that in Britain that there there's more of an audience for theatre? There is very much so, very much so. There, there there's an audience for theatre. There's an audience for good theatre, certainly, because you know uh, uh, the, the the British enthusiasm for theatre doesn't mean that they'll just t- they'll take anything. You know, they, right. If, if anything, they're quite they're, they're quite quite fussy. Yeah. You know, it's I remember. <laughs> I remember going to the theatre in New York with an English friend of mine, and he said, I've seen five shows this week, and every single show, there's a standing ovation at the end of the show. And so, quite honestly, Fred, one of them deserved it. The other four certainly did not. (laughs) Because in England, in London, you know, audiences don't stand up. They, and, you know, they stand up if it's really exceptional. Here, you, I mean, I think here you get a standing ovation if
0: you turn up. Yeah, if you get through it. If you get through yeah. it, it's like everyone's on their
1: feet, <laughs> <laughs>
0: cheering you. But I guess that's also part of that tradition that you, you know, you sort of learn when you do classical stuff and you do Shakespeare that there is that it, it all started there. So like yeah. there, there's like you know centuries of 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 what it sort of invented theater yeah, in yeah. a way. And
1: also, and, and also now that theater has become you know theater, I think somewhere along the way. In the modern era, somebody—I don't know who, and I don't know when—but somebody somewhere suddenly said, "You know what? This can make money. This is—you right. know—this is a this is a good workable business model." And so, people like Cameron Macintosh, who was you know a, 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 an independent producer that, that I worked with, they started putting money into the infrastructure. Yeah, you know, they started they started renovating theaters, so making the whole experience of going to a theater much more pleasant. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid Going to the theatre was a bit of a challenge because the theatres were a bit grubby, right? They were run down. You know, you yeah. couldn't get you couldn't get a drink in the interval. You know, the, the, the ice cream came in these tubs and it it was weeks old and warm. Yeah, you know, there wasn't there wasn't much care. Warm ice cream. Warm ice cream, kind of <laughs> basically really like a thick milkshake. <laughs> That's really bad. Yeah, it's disgusting. Um, but you know, but and then but that started to change. So now you know you go to the theatre now in London and and major cities in England and it's and it's it's a great night.
0: What. What was the big break? I mean, when did did you were you gunning for television? No, work? You were, no, no. You I were going to be a theater yeah, guy. Yeah, that,
1: that was the thing. In my for my generation, th- theater was was always the first entry point for
0: for for work. Um, you didn't even think about like how to get in movies.
1: No, movies and TV was something that was way ahead in the future that you had to kind of like work towards. Right, you had to sort of, in a way, kind of get well known enough or earn earn the
0: chance to do a tv mo or a movie. And who were the elders in you know for your generation you know in the in the theater world that everybody looked up to oh, right? it was i mean it was people like you know Glenda Jackson yeah uh Trevor Nunn yeah you know, we
1: had we had some great actors uh you know uh Donald Sinden um uh Pedro yeah uh, you know there was some there were great there, there were actors who were like maybe 10 15 20 years ahead of us yeah who were doing great work, and that was what we aspired to, and and the idea of getting into the National Theatre or getting into the Royal Shakespeare Company, uh, working with you know really good provincial companies like the Bristol Old Vic or the Exchange Theatre in Manchester and so on, that was what you aimed for. Yeah. Um, but it was always theatre because that's all we were trained in. I mean, there was no when I when at my drama school there the, the the most technological class was a class that was rather vaguely called radio microphone technique <laughs> yeah. and that was it there was no there were no classes about screen work or how to how to audition for
0: camera and stuff. but at there that time that. not unlike i guess the thing you're doing now this uh, the angel of vine yeah. uh, podcast that, like the bbc had radio plays oh I yeah mean, so I mean, in fact, was... and
1: in fact in those days I, don't, I think they may still do it. the bbc had a repertory company yeah and uh, the, the bbc radio rep and every drama school was invited to enter a competition. And so every drama school uh, would would bring would would send maybe two or sometimes three of their you know best students to enter this competition. yeah, and you would basically audition for the BBC Radio rep. And if you won, the prize was a 6-month contract with the BBC Radio rep. Now that was like I mean that was serious. Yeah. That meant that if you if you won this, yeah. you'd leave drama school and you'd be in a job. You'd have a job, a paid yeah. job for 6 months. Talking. You know, and it was yeah. like that was and so we all went we all went and did
0: it. We all kind of tried to do that. Did you win? Know? No. I like I did one I did a radio show for the BBC in one of their old ha- like they have like those pl- even the BBC in that building you know i'm in this room that has an audience in it and it it, it has its own history you're yeah. like oh, a lot of shit happened in here it, yeah, you, you yeah. know there's like a, a tr- not a tradition but it's it's all in one place there's very few places like that here where you, you know that that's where it all happens that we, when you have a national radio mm-hmm. you, you know the 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 studios are are historical that's right that's
1: right and so and, much and, has gone on yeah man. and you, you i remember the very first time i worked at the bbc to do a radio job um, I was told that the the, uh, the studio we were in was where uh, some really famous science fiction series from the 40s um, had been transmitted yeah. know, when it was live. And you would find all these sort of old actors who... Were radio stars who did almost nothing but radio, um, and they'd be full of little hints like, you know, dear boy, uh, when you turn the pages of your script, just hold it away from the microphone, yeah. and uh, perhaps try and try and um, try and uh, uh, fold up the ends of the pages so you've got something to grab. Just a little hint. <laughs> <laughs> and they give you all these little. And of course, at the time, I was young. I, you know, I loved all those old guys. Those old guys were, I look, you looked up to them. They were the elders. They, they were the, they were the actors that. Had been through what you were going through, had been, had experienced what you were hoping to experience, and and what they, and their knowledge, their understanding, even their cynicism about it was, was useful.
0: And also, there was a. Uh, it sounds like in in Britain there was a working class element to that.
1: Oh, very much so. Yeah, very like these much guys,
0: so. you know, they had jobs for a yeah. lifetime. It yeah. was P.
1: O'Toole and Albert Finney's generation. Yeah, they went to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, and they just kick the shit out of that place i mean you know that they were the ones that were kind of going no i'm not going to change my accent you don't like my accent don't talk to me you know that the, the, they, they had the they had the guts to kind of just challenge all that
0: did you get to work with either? Uh,
1: i got guys? to work um no i didn't i, I got to be, i became sort of friendly for a while with uh albert finney because we had a couple of mutual friends yeah um i never got to work with any of those old guys but they were they were the people we were kind of They were the people we adored, you know, because they... They, they they seem to they walk
0: the walk and talk the talk. Sure, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And they they lived the life. They did very much so, <laughs> yeah. very much so. I mean, they, I mean, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of lessons from that that you might want to avoid. That's right. So, yeah,
1: <laughs> I, wor- I worked with a I worked with a a, a a wonderful old actor called Sebastian Shaw, who was a a, a great character actor and leading man at the Royal Shakespeare Company when I was there, just kind of spe- yeah. spe- spear carrying. Yeah, and the is way that, you, you know the way is you that I, what it's called? It's a spear, spear, yeah, I was a spear carrier Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and lantern bearer uh, and uh, I uh, you know like like a lot of young actors you know you, when, you, when you're talking to older actors you, you, you want to know so you want to yeah. you know, and I, I think I said to Mr. Shaw I think I said something like um, uh, Mr. Shaw do you, do you have any, any advice yeah. for me I, you know and I was kind of a bit gushy and and he said uh, yes I have <laughs> he said yes, I'll give you some advice He said, <laughs> he said never stand when you can sit and never sit if you can lie down, <laughs> and at the time I thought, "Oh, he's just a he's just an old fart," you know. Yes. Just, you know but now that I'm in my sixties myself, I'm thinking that's really good advice. <laughs> so practical. thank you, Mr.
0: Shaw. It's practical. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> so, so when does the what, what, how does the big the big break reveal itself? I mean, in terms of when did you start working? Well, I is- I, I I was always working.
1: Uh, not always doing what I wanted to do, or not always doing necessarily what what was the best thing to do.
0: But but, but you see, but that's just part of your work ethic. It yeah, seems. I
1: just yeah. I mean, I, I just uh, you know, I grew up with I grew up in a family that really lived paycheck to paycheck. Was your dad on board with the acting? Not really. No, not really. He thought he 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 was a little um, he was a bit bemused by it, and then I think he became slightly irritated by it. <laughs> And then he just dismissed it, you know, because it uh, it wasn't it didn't seem to be of any consequence. Did he see? He didn't get to see any of your. He got to see a few things. He got to see a few things. I mean, he was he was, he. he, But he. I don't know. There's something about. He never quite was able to express any pride or any enjoyment of what I did. There was always a caveat. There was always, it was always kind of like almost. Begrudgingly acknowledging what I was doing, but then of course after he died, I discovered that the, he had a suitcase, like a big bag, of and clippings. it was full of clippings and posters and articles and photographs. You know, he just, but he couldn't actually. You know, I remember the one of the last things he saw before he passed away. Uh, he, I did a play where, in the second half of the play, my character is in full drag. Yeah, because he's that's his. That's his job in this. He, he's he's in a gang of, of and and, there's, and that's his that's his job in the heist is to kind of like you know deflect attention. Right. So he's in full drag on a street corner pretending to be uh, a lady of the night. And my father comes to see the show, and afterwards he says he says to me he says, Alfredo, it was, it was incredible when you when you were dressed up as a woman, you look just like your mother. And I was thrilled by this. And I kind of went, oh, did you think I was attractive? And he goes, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> so that was, that was the best. That was the closest I got to a compliment was that
0: I, when I was in drag, I looked like my mum. <laughs> Why is it with that? There's what is it with fathers and that thing? Like what? I mean, what is the obstacle? Well, I've I think I I'm
1: just, not, I don't know. I can only sp- I can only speak for my own experience. I don't know. There's I'm sure there's a million and one reasons why fathers do that with their. They sons. can't
0: be. They can't express their. Yeah, their pride. I,
1: I I think I think with my dad it was because I think what I was doing, what I was, the way I was living my life. You know what was important to me. He just could not understand i mean he got me a job just after a uh, just after drama school he got me a job in the restaurant where he was working yeah he was bartending by this time he was bartending in this restaurant and he got me a job as a as a waiter and if i say so myself i was i was quite good at it good enough that my manager asked me if i'd be interested in going on a paid two-week course Which the restaurant would pay for to train as an assistant manager. Yeah. Now, if waiting tables or waiting, if working in the catering business had been my ambition, that would have been like a great thing to do. Yeah. But I turned it down because I wanted to. I didn't want to. I get stuck. Yeah. I wanted to. I wanted time to go to auditions and stuff. And when I told my dad that I turned it down, his disappointment was palpable. Yeah. And. He was but I don't think he was disappointed for me I think he was just embarrassed you know because he he it made it i think he thought that it made him look as if he hadn't raised me properly
0: right well also there somehow something like that you know they, they and questioned. then when I left
1: that job and took an acting job which was paying me something like a third of what I was earning as a waiter he he could barely that was it he could barely
0: talk to me yeah he just didn't understand your choices didn't get it so what was Oklahoma the first big thing? That was the first big uh that was the first
1: big um sort of stage production that I got involved in. Yeah. And that was the one that kinda got me a little bit of attention and, and what and that was like in the eighties? That was nine yeah, that was ran about yeah, because it was around right about when my daughter was born, so it would have been like yeah, 1980, 81. So
0: it, that was what it what it's like. I don't know anything about the production, but I know it got a lot of uh, attention, and it mm-hmm. was a revival of. It of, was the first major revival of the musical
1: since like the nineteen fifties. Isn't it, it's sort of odd that it got so much attention? What what was it about that well, production? I, well, I think it's because it was very popular. That the show's very popular, and it was the first time. A ho- I mean, it hadn't been there hadn't been a production of Oklahoma for nearly
0: you know, nearly 30 years it was like so, like some sort of unearthing like yes yeah, so it was
1: like a it was like a big deal and we took it on tour first and then we came into the west end um so yeah it was and also we had a great this young australian singer uh john dietrich who was absolutely brilliant in the role of uh-huh. curly um and it was a it was a yeah it was kind of a big deal it ran for a year and a half i did, I did I did like ten months in it. I wonder what the
0: like what what the appeal was, because it it was I guess in terms of, I guess it's Britain and Oklahoma is a very specifically American. But it was a huge, but
1: it was a huge success when it first came over to England, Uh, and you know, and 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 there's always been a great what in the '30s you mean or whatever. Well, yeah, when it came over, it came over in the late '40s, I believe. And I think that was the last time we'd seen a production of it in the West End.
0: I don't I don't know the show, but like it just it, musicals are this a whole other they're their yeah. own thing. Well ev- every
1: every number in the show was a hit. Yeah. Um over the years, every number in the show had either been released as a single or had been part of famous singers' repertoires. So all the all the numbers were right. a hit. My character, I played Judd Fry, you know, the bad guy. He has one song in the original musical, which was cut from the movie. So (laughs) every night when I went on stage, every other song, as soon as it- People were singing along. Yeah, well, they were either singing along or as they heard the opening bars, there was a kind of a round of polite applause. You know, oh, what a beautiful- (laughs) You know, I'm just a girl who- (laughs) And then, of course, I come on and my song starts, dung, dung. It's really dark, you know. The floor creaks, the door squeaks, you know. (laughs) There's a mouse nibbling on a broom. It's all very kind of dark and, you know, (laughs) paranoid. And, of course, when when that starts, I could see the whole audience kind of turning their heads, kind of going, I don't know this one. What's what's this song? I've never heard this song. So, so and every other song in the show got like cheers at the end you know <laughs> yeah. People will say we're in love the place goes mad yeah. I end up with my in my lonely room Nothing, <laughs> tumble tumbleweeds. <laughs> but <laughs> so you was, stood out. I stood out. It was it was a it was a real kind of learning experience. And that started the, <laughs> and that started the theatre role. Yeah, well, yeah, kind of. And then and then it was just after that that I did that uh, did my first movie. And
0: then that which movie
1: know, was that? That was uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You've really done your research, Mark. Yeah, I'm really impressed. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Raiders of the I, Lost well, Ark. I don't know. Sometimes I talk to people from you, you know, and the, you've never heard of them. <laughs> Like, Wikipedia is not always great. IMDb is good, but but sometimes I talk to people. It's like, well, I did this little movie that you you can't find on there. Yeah, yeah. But, but no, that was a, a big. Matrix. M- yeah, no, that's a big movie. I remember yeah. you. You're the guy with the spikes coming that's, out of you. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. That's yeah, the, right.
0: it was very disturbing. I, my producer, it's, I think it scarred him for life. <laughs> like, he did, like he like for he said my for, work m- here is done. For most of his life, you were that guy because he yeah. was a kid. It yeah. was like that's yeah, the guy yeah, yeah. who was. Oh my god. Yeah. That's well, right. So you get booked out of uh, out of uh, out of England for a we raiders? did, yeah, because in those days
1: shooting uh, the 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 studio system in England was very economically depressed at the time. You yeah, know, the studios were empty. People weren't shooting there. You know, the the the
0: British film industry was going through one of its cyclical downturns. See, um, I might want to add real quick that here on this particular resume, it says that there was a movie before that, and that you know, and what was that? It was a Nightingale sang in Berkeley Square that's erroneous see that's why I, I i played stupid that's
1: erroneous that that i i've never done a movie call I, I don't know what that is i've got a feeling it says you're uncredited and it's a port official n- oh i know what no 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 i've got a feeling someone's got i think that was the title of an episode of a tv show i did ah I th- See I Wikipedia think.
0: Can't yeah, you can't count you can't trust
1: them you can't trust them. So the so the film industry is very depressed. It was very depressed and so it was very cheap to shoot in England. Yeah. So basically what Paramount did is that they, they brought their whole production office over to England. They had they'd already cast Harrison Ford and yeah. and Karen Allen from the states, but every other actor in the in the movie was cast in London. As a consequence, we were all working under British equity contracts, which did not include any residual payments. Really, no. So we all got paid like a lump sum. Was that, that was a plan? It. That no, that's just the way it was. Yeah. We, we we didn't we never had a residual system in English film contracts. You just got paid your fee, and if you were a star, you'd negotiate a big fat fee, and that was it. That's what really we got. yeah. And and uh, I mean, it's it, I think it's slightly changed now, but certainly in those days, so it, we were cheap. Yeah, we were very cheap. And so, but also very grateful. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, and and then you were, you were doing British television as well.
1: Yeah, I did a little bit of TV, but still, even after even after the 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 movie, I was still you know regularly working in the theatre and regional theatre and in London. I mean, it, it was it was just an on the the films really didn't become my main stay of employment until I came to live in the states. And but it, but you were for years you were sort of like one of those guys like there's that guy again, oh yeah 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 I, I was like yeah I I I suddenly was on that track of you know the character actor. right you know? oh you're yeah it's what's isn't that isn't that what's his name you know yeah, yeah yeah which is which I've never complained about I mean that that it's, it's a better way to be it's a better well, way to work yeah that life got. To you know, put two kids through college. I'm, I'm, I have no complaints. And,
0: and you know, have the pressure of like you know, you got to be you
1: know. That's right. I mean, you know, there's a great, there's a great, I've, I've told this story often, but there's a great quote of uh, the late uh, Bob Hoskins, um, who, who said that uh, he loved popping in and out of movies. You know, doing little cameo parts. Yeah. And the reason he loved it so much, he said, he said, when you turn up, they're happy to see you. They treat you like the crown jewels. And if the movie sucks, nobody blames
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, and
1: it's perfect. Yes, it's
0: but what, of- but uh, but then you had big, like prick up your ears. That was a big move yeah. A big part. Yeah. yeah,
1: that was a nice. That was a that was a nice big lead in a in a in a, in a, in a ve- what was then a very prestigious, very. It, that was a movie that very much kind of pushed the envelope socially and politically. You know, um, it was the first time that we saw. Uh, a, a gay relation, albeit a destructive one, but a gay relationship portrayed uh, as as a relationship and not as some kind of, you know, secretive criminal, uh, you know, kind of endeavor. You know, it, yeah. it, it was it was uh, it was the opening up of a whole new way of telling a story you know and, and of course it was based on true events and everything so it, it was quite it that was quite an important moment and such a disturbing character very much so yeah, yeah very much so I mean it was that was the first time that I actually spent a lot of time before shooting actively researching the role and the history of these two characters you know Gary Oldman and I um, we'd been friends and you know we'd we'd done a, a play together and uh, and we we spent three or four weeks just every day together just kind of working out these timelines yeah. of you know where, where, where these characters were at, at at any particular moment so when we arrived to shoot the movie we kind of felt very much at home with, with the characters and with the events of the story and so on and, uh, and that really t- that taught me a great lesson you know, and, and that's something that I've continued to do whenever I've worked on particularly when I've worked on films where I'm playing a character who actually existed at some point
0: Well, that, and and I would imagine too, like, because you did do, uh, you played Mark Rothko in Red. Yeah. And that, he was a complicated character, very much so. Yeah, and and interesting. The the uh, the more complicated
1: they are, the more contradictory the information you get, the more interesting it is to play. What do you mean or, contradictory? Well, in the sense that um, uh, there used to be an exercise at drama school that we used to do. Where yeah, you would write down a list of all the things that your character says about himself, and then you write a list of all the things that the other characters say about your character. Right, and the best writing is often when those when those things. Uh, con- contradict each other. Yeah. You know, if a character says, oh, I'm just an ordinary person. Right. You know, I'm just, you know, and then someone else says, oh my God, <laughs> what, you know, well, I saw him the other day, he was drunk and dancing on a table. Uh, yeah. You know, that kind of contradiction, you think, oh, there's some, there's some interesting uh, stuff to work right, on there, Right, right, you know? right, yeah. Because in real life, we're all contradictory. We all sure. We're constantly contradicting yeah. ourselves. Uh, and so that was, you know, uh, so when, when th- with Mark Rothko, you know, I read all the stuff that he'd written about his work. Uh, I read, you know, I, I read
0: the 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 um, uh, was it Breslin biography? Yeah, the,
1: the Breslin uh, biography, which is absolutely definitive. Yeah. Plus, uh, Christopher Rothko, um, uh, Mark uh, Mark Rothko's son, Christopher has written a fantastic book, which is a kind of analysis of his dad's work and 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 where his dad was at in his life at any particular time. So all of that stuff was very, very useful and very helpful, but ultimately, the last thing an audience is paying for is to watch an actor schlep his <laughs> his homework on stage with him. You know. Yeah. So you have
0: to integrate
1: it somehow. Yeah. What well, you what you do is what well, at least what I do is you you absorb as much of it as that is useful, and then forget it. Yeah. Because ultimately, all you're doing is really create recreating what's on the page. Right. You know, you can't suddenly decide to rewrite something because you happen to know what he had for breakfast in 1959 but you believe that it goes in
0: there i think yeah i think lodges itself yeah
1: it becomes part of your i don't know i'm gonna sound terribly highfalutin now but it it becomes part of your creative
0: dna right in some way right and 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 that's something you've done now you do it all the time
1: yeah and it becomes it becomes kind of second nature in a way you know i mean of course when you if you're playing a purely fictional character then of course you know it's just your imagination that's
0: uh, you just need your you just need your imagination sure you know? so like if, so you're going back and forth if, if, to, from england to the states but the, the the play art brings you to new york and you stay yeah. in new york yeah and i, but I was already li- i was already living in in
1: the states when i did uh, art but then yeah. i but that but that was the first time that i'd worked for a long period of time in new york and, and that I, was a I, huge I,
0: show who's that yeah. who's in that garber uh, like, I did it with
1: victor garber yeah. and alan alder yeah, yeah great great company we, we we became we all became good friends and we've remained so Alan, was, Alan Alda's a good guy oh fantastic I mean and he was like he was like our dad yeah in a way he kind of he sort of took Victor and I under his wing and and there's a wonderful moment when uh, Alan was always very very keen on you know on like finding a new restaurant you know and he was he loves food he, he was always very excited to find a, a new place and he came into work one night and said guys there's a great new Italian restaurant. It's uh, you know uh, and he mentioned the name of the chef. Yeah. He said, they've just opened downtown. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna get my uh, I'm gonna get my assistant and he gave a name. He said, I'm, I'm gonna get my assistant so and so to do it. And I said, oh, I thought so and so was your assistant. And yeah. Alan said, "Well, I've got two assistants, yeah. one here and one in the office." i went, "Oh!" And then I said something like, "Wow, Alan, that must cost you a fortune." And Alan very quickly said, "I've got a fortune." <laughs>
0: <laughs> I loved it. He was just. And what? How? Yeah. What, how do like? Because like, I you've done a lot of movies. Some of them I've seen some of them i haven't <laughs> <laughs> like some of them i forgot i saw but like but you work with uh like how much uh like when you work with somebody like uh jim jarmusch yeah. like you, how, i i'm trying to remember how how big the part in dead man was it wasn't very big it was basically
1: one scene we had, i had one scene in the kind of trading post yeah johnny depp and gary farmer come in you know yeah and, and there's this kind of uh you know negotiation which gets very tense um, uh, and that was the only time I I I went up to we, that he was shooting it in somewhere in Oregon, and I went up there for a week, and I was there for three or four days not doing much, and then we shot all that stuff in in like one day, and then uh, a few years later, uh, Jim called me, and, and in the and in the interim, I'd worked with Sarah Driver, Jim's partner, um, and I'd done a film with her in Germany. Which one was that? It was called When Pigs Fly. Oh yeah, yeah and uh um, starring Marianne Faithful oh, which wow. I mean, that was a, that, sh- that was, she's an interesting woman really interesting
0: yeah i used to see her i worked at a coffee shop in harvard square when she was drying out at some point in uh i guess in the late 80s and she used to come in every day and she looked uh, yeah. weathered
1: yeah but an
0: amazing woman i mean yeah, really she's kind of great. so many stories so yeah. much
1: anyway so and then after that uh, jim ca- called me up about um, coffee and cigarettes and he'd yeah. been you know he'd been making these little vignettes for years trying to find a way of somehow putting them together and he just said i've got this idea for a, a little short would you be interested and it was myself and steve coogan and, and i said yes straight away because you know I, i'm a big fan of steve coogan, he was just it? here a oh, cool guy really fantastic and jim just basically said that he didn't have a script he just had an idea for a scene yeah and so we we improvised a lot of it yeah. you know, and, was and it fun a lot of fun and um, we didn't improvise in front of the camera we we, we worked it all out the day before in a rehearsal but yeah so we had an i we had a pretty good idea of where we were going to go with it yeah but i'd never worked that way before i'd never i'd never done a movie or any or, or worked on a film where there was so much freedom to just kind of invent stuff and just kind you know and that that was really exciting have and you that, done more of that since no not not no i haven't it's funny i, I that it kind of it was like uh, the most deli- It was like finding the most delicious dish in yeah. a buffet, Yeah. and just thinking, you know what? I'm just going to have that now. <laughs> and then, then you go to another buffet, and it's and there's nothing it's not like the it's not there. I think you and you and Coogan should work more together. Well, we had fun. I mean, I, at least. I mean, I hope. I hope. hope Steve's memory of that film is as fond as as mine is. But I mean, I I remember. I remember, for instance, we did this whole. Uh, we got into this whole riff about his coat, yeah, which. Was a conversation that we'd had literally a couple of hours before in the lunch break. Yeah, when I'd said something like, "That's a really nice coat," and he went, "Yeah, it's a uh, Vivian Westwood." I said, "That's cool, that's yeah. cool." And then, so and, it, and so in the scene, I just kind of went, "Nice coat." And then he went, and then he just went off on this whole thing. It was brilliant. I thought this was such a great way to work. It's I loved fun, it. right? Yeah, I loved in the it. moment,
0: I loved it. It's hard to get in the moment. So, like, I just read uh, the weird thing is we could spend uh, uh, a long time with the with a lot of the stuff in the in the in the resume because you've done so much but there were, i just read an article recently like two days three days ago about your scene in boogie nights like it wow. was, yeah it was like a new yorker scene someone sort of like how does it hold up and you know and there's a reference to that scene and i'm i have to assume that no matter what you do a lot of people are never going to forget that oh yeah that comes up a lot and i'm delighted you know there's there's uh that i've never
1: i you know i've I've never understood it when actors kind of get a little irritated when people kind of mention yeah. iconic stuff that they've done. Right. You know, you, know you, you hear actors kind of saying things like, oh, I wish I would. I wish I'd stop talking about that movie I did. You know, I, that never bothers me because it's those moments that, you know, in a small way. I mean, I may be it may be a footnote in the history of film, but it's it's there. Yeah, you know, and it exists. And, and I'm very, very proud of it. Very proud of those things. You know, like when, you know, people come up, people still say, I mean, usually men of a certain age. Yeah. will say things like, you know, I'll be in a bar or something or in a restaurant or in a line in the coffee shop and someone will come up and say, throw me the idol. I'll throw you the whip. huh? That's you, right? And I'll say, Yeah, and that was me. And and then they always say then they always apologize. They always say, Yeah, oh, you must you must get you must hate that when people do that. Yeah. And I always say, No, no, I don't hate it. I'm delighted. <laughs> I'm delighted that you remembered it. I'm delighted that it's part of your kind of,
0: you know, memory of, of things, nice things. That's, I'm, 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 I'm delighted by but that. But that's also the great thing about, you know, going back to Bob Hoskins' talk is that when you have those moments where, where you're not the whole movie, yeah. but you can really be in that moment, uh, that those are the ones that people really remember, you that's know, right. you and the boulder. That's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm very happy with the billing you've given me by the way
1: <laughs> i came before the boulder so i'm delighted but, but, no, that- but you're right i mean it's and it's not it's not i don't think there's anything to be ashamed of. there's nothing to be embarrassed by you know and and, we, and then you know other people might talk about boogie nights or or, or and it's I, i'm it delights me it, it, I'm. i'm i'm i find it flattering and that they remember, and I'm delighted that it's that it's a, a positive memory. You know, for, and it's a great people. movie. But would they? Like, he did the most wonderful thing, right. P.T. He did the most wonderful thing when Boogie Nights was released. Yeah, he went to the trouble of calling every single person that was involved in that film to thank mm-hmm. them for their contribution to it. And I don't just mean the actors; I mean crew, you know, people who weren't on screen. He, he you know, th- that movie was a huge thing for him, and. He, he he just called everyone I, I, I thought that was such a classy thing to do
0: how now w- w- thinking back on it on that scene I mean like in terms of how you put together a character you, you know what was that work well the uh, uh, the the story goes I'm not sure I've, n- I've never
1: been able to corroborate this but the story goes that the part was already cast yeah and the actor who was cast at the very last minute dropped out yeah um the story goes that his, uh, his that this actor's reps got wind that this this movie was about pornography and stuff and they, right. you know, maybe you shouldn't be maybe you shouldn't be associated with it or something. Yeah. And so he dropped out. So I got a call from uh one of the producers, John Lyons, who who I knew when he was a casting director. And he said, "Look, I normally wouldn't do this, but you know, we're 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 in a bit of a jam." Um uh, would would, is, would you be interested in coming playing playing this part? It's only going to be like a couple of days' work. Yeah, turned out to be about three or four days. And I had just come back from a film; I'd been away for a long, long time. So I was really happy to be working in LA. And I said, "Sure." And then he said, "Well, I'll get I'll get Paul to call you." So Paul calls me and says, "Okay, this is the part. He's a coked up drug dealer on a shotgun rampage." <laughs> and I went, "Yeah, I'll do it." <laughs> Because <laughs> I was thinking, I've never done that before. Yeah. So I said, "Yeah, I'll do it." Yeah. And then uh, he sent me the script, and he explained who this character was, how it was loosely based on this character that actually existed. You Nash. Know. Uh, he, he was based on someone. I think Eric Bogosian. Yeah, no, played yeah, him yeah, in yeah. another movie. I but, think
0: his name was Nash, yeah. but he was like uh, Armenian or, or Iranian or Israeli. Yeah, yeah, yeah it and was he, the boner guy. Yeah, and yeah. he
1: and he was he was kind of into drugs and porn and stuff. And yeah, so but I I thought this is going to be great fun great yeah fun to do and and, and it was we, we had a wonderful time
0: i think he played him in uh in the john holmes movie the yeah, was it wonderland wonderland yeah, yeah. that's it as a disturbing movie yeah very much so but uh, but that set must have been crazy that it was set. and it
1: was and it was a lot of fun because pt was very inventive he the scene with you know the with with the crackers yeah you know firecrackers he, yeah he he basically uh he told the young man who was playing uh, Cosmo, you yeah. know, the young kid who was like lighting the firecrackers. Yeah. He, the firecrackers were full bore; they were like, you know, they weren't damp down. So, and he said, and he said to this kid, "Just light them any old time. Don't worry about continuity. Just light them whenever you want to." Yeah. Which, of course, the sound man just kind of went nuts, you know, because how do you? <laughs> right. But w- but he had a, he had a good. Re- he, what he wanted to do is he wanted all the actors except me to be really genuinely. Right, sort of struck yeah. by them. Yeah. So whenever you had a shot of the three, you know Thomas Jane, John C. Riley, and Mark Wahlberg on the sofa, and they're jumping. Yeah. Every time they- that was for real because yeah, they yeah. didn't know when it was coming. You know, this guy would just light them and just throw them, bang. But in order, and I said, well, how am I, how am I not going to react? Because I'm going to be hearing. So what they do is they they plug one of my ears were pl- was plugged up. And the other ear had an earwig in it. Yeah. So I couldn't hear anything. All I could hear was dialogue. Right. So for me, every firecracker just sounded like... Yeah. Very kind of vague, faint in the background right. noise, yeah, which yeah. I didn't react. So they're all jumping out of their skins, and I'm walking through the scene like I can't hear it, like a oblivious, <laughs> like in this coke cloud. <laughs> and it was such a brilliant idea. It yeah. was so brilliant. And it so, cause of course, it created this weird... There was this weird energy in that scene, you know, yeah, because everyone just... else is like freaking out and I'm just floating through it like, you know, like yeah. like I'm oblivious, singing. which I was. Yeah. It's just singing. Uh, I loved it. I, we had such a good time.
0: It must have been. There was a, there was,
1: the, the, there was a John C. Riley did an interview somewhere and he said, uh, and he was being asked about that scene. And he said, yeah, yeah, we were just, we were just sitting on the sofa watching the Alfred Molina show. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Which it kind of was. <laughs> you know. It was a good show, <laughs> and you worked with him again on Magnolia. Yeah,
1: yeah, had a nice little part in that. That was interesting, and you know, he's I, I love I love his work. You know, I was I was a fan. You know, I, I'd seen Hard Eight. You know, his yeah. first movie, which I thought was fantastic. So this was a, you know, I just I would have you know I would have I said yes even before you know, even before John finished
0: his first sentence, really. Yeah, and what like like when I saw Spider Man Two, where he played the, the Doctor Octopus. Yeah. Like I like see the thing is is like you bring something sort of like so visceral to like almost anything you do like that that, that guy seemed almost like uh, I mean, the way you played it was uh, yeah, like it was almost Shakespearean somehow. Like, wow, was- well, that's that's very kind of you. But uh, you know, it was so like. Is it's, that a nice way of saying over the top? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 that's
1: good. It required that. Yeah. Well, it, I know, well, it was partly that was that. Uh, I'm I'm glad that came across because that was partly to do with uh, Sam Sam Raimi. I think what he wanted was something. Otherworldly somehow he wanted yeah. he, he wanted he wanted his villain to be in the same way that in the first one Willem Dafoe's right. villain in the first in Sam's first Spider-Man movie yeah. had this kind of larger than like he had a kind of he had he had a style yeah you know and I think I think Sam was 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 into that you know and and so it was uh, but that was another again that was another another amazing experience working in a way that i'd never worked with before i'd never i'd never done a movie that was so technically complicated before. yeah you know yeah it was and, and all the the cgi and the animation and the all the all the technology that was that was employed in that film was at a level that i'd never experienced before and it was exciting it was it was like a real it was like making movies in a whole other way i'd never done before so it was, did
0: you was. but did you have to wear arms
1: yeah, well, they're, they're in some yeah, there was a huge rig um, that that was operated by puppeteers. There was uh, there was another rig that was on cable. Wow. Um, there were some some of the, some of the shots were animated and CGI'd and stuff. I mean, whenever there were close ups, and I had the arms, you know, behind me, kind of oscillating very very gently. That was all because the you know, the puppeteers were giving it life. They were and they were at this is the interesting thing. The the puppeteers that were operating the arms yeah. were actors themselves, huh. so they were kind of they they were giving the arms a kind of I don't know a, a kind of personality.
0: So each arm had yeah. its own thing going. We we ended up
1: calling them Harry, Larry, Flo, and Mo. <laughs> you named the arms. We named the arms Harry, Larry, Flo, and Mo. Yeah.
0: You still are you? Do you get excited about every job? I
1: do. Yeah, I do. Because I, I, I think that's uh, yeah. what
0: reads more than anything else. You're not yeah. just. I, like... I
1: haven't lost my, I haven't lost my joy of it, and I think it's partly because I'm. You know, I look, I know this is where I might sound a bit sentimental, but I, I, I look at, I look at my family and what they had to do in order to allow me to do this, you know, the, you know, the, they may not have understood me all the time, but they always, but they made sacrifices on my behalf. Yeah, And, uh, so I, I feel I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of that and I'm aware of it and I'm thankful and grateful for it. and, and, and it's given me they gave me a chance to in a way to live a dream right that has become a very nice way to earn a living it's, it's given me a lovely life it's given me a, a, it's, it's it's given me the chance to be part of a wonderful community yeah you know so i'm i'm uh, and i love going to oh, i love my you know i i say to people i love my tribe yeah, you know, I'm proud of them, and I'm proud to be part of it. The actors, yeah,
0: anyone, anyone who works in, in show business in show business, really. And you do like it's like it's crazy. I mean, you do like voices. You're on Rick and Morty. You've done a bit on Drunk History. You yeah. show up, like you know, you do like you. If you've got a few days, you'll go yeah. do it. Yeah,
1: I'm a bit of a slut that way. I mean, I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, yeah, I, I find it very hard to say no. Yeah, but you know, I've said no in the past, but it's usually when it's really, really bad. But I mean, it's, it's, uh, luck. I've 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 always managed to find something that I've enjoyed in, in the work I've done. And you still, you guys resurrected Red in last year? Yeah, we did it last year because we never did a West End run. We'd done it on Broadway. We'd done it in L.A. We did it in a small theater in like the Donmar in London, which is officially regarded as the West End, but it's not like a proper yeah. West End house. It's kind of small. It's only 250 seats. And, and how was it? Good? It went great. Yeah, we did. It, went, it was a big hit. Big how much success. of it was still in your head? Not a lot of it, actually, to be honest, because it had been a good eight, nine years since yeah. we'd done it before. But once I started working on it and relearning, and you know, it, it big chunks of it were coming. Yeah. So it was, it, so it was all there. Yeah, it just needed to be kind of dug out a little. It's interesting, you know? right? Yeah, I, I was, I was amazed. I was grateful for that because I, looking at the play, I remember how, how kind of hard it was to learn it in the first place. I was every night. I was giving it couple of hours of just homework, just yeah. drilling, drilling the lines to, so they were just like, would come easy. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, God, I've got to do all that again. You know, yeah. but actually, it started to come back. But it came back in. Ch- it was really interesting. It came back in these chunks. Uh huh. And I, so then I, then my, my problem was working out how to put those chunks in the right order. Yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> so yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like you know, I'm, it's like you have all the ingredients, and you're right. kind of going, well, what goes in first, the onions or <laughs> the peppers? I mean, you, know, <laughs> you weren't quite
0: sure. Yeah, you just got it through repetition. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, oh, you, you played uh, Diego Rivera too. So you've done a couple artists.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you've that, never played Gauguin, though. No, no. I've never played You were kind of like him. I know. Well, you know, somebody somebody, t- somebody sent me um, a photo, or no, a painting of Gauguin, yeah. of, of, like a self-portrait.
0: Yeah, no, that's the one I'm thinking I of. Was,
1: yeah, and I, I looked up and, and he said, you know, and he sent
0: it to me with a little note saying, look familiar. Yeah, it's like it's like the, the whole side of his head and some of the yeah, I was yeah. stuff in the background. That's yeah, right. yeah,
1: And I thought, yeah, but I've
0: I've never been asked to play him. Oh, that'd and, be uh, yeah, maybe one of those. I I, I think there. Let's a, get on that, Mark. Let's I, get on. To okay, that. Okay, I'm making note of it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about. Uh, let's finish up by talking about this uh, this podcast. Yes, Angel of Vine. What is
1: that? Well, basically, it's uh, it's a ten part podcast, and it's it's a combination of it's a bit it's a combination of like l.a. noir uh-huh. and little element of time travel yeah little element of documentary yeah the premise is that um a stash of tapes yeah. are discovered yeah and the tapes are of a re- long retired uh police officer on the LAPD yeah. in the fifties, working on a case, working on a case that was never resolved, and it's him recording his in, his interviews, his encounters. What, with is it a murder people. case? It's a murder case. Yeah, it's from and the fifties. Yeah, so it's, it's like True Detective kind, kind of? of, and it's loosely based on the Black Dahlia. Story. Oh, oh, that was earlier though. No, yeah, but it, but it's got this kind of, uh, it's got this sort of, you know, the tapes are discovered, yeah. and it's how this character. Starts working on the tapes and going through them and gets caught up in this case and wants to try and solve the case sort of like a case, you know, going, going back in time Uh through these tapes. Yeah. And so it's got this lovely. There's a so it's got it's got all those elements. And and it's 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 radio theater. Yeah. You know, people you often use these euphemisms like it's a movie in your head. Yeah. It's it's a it's a film that's going on between
0: your ears. Yeah. But what it is, it's 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 radio. It's radio. Sure, too. it's what it's it, it, what existed before television. Yeah, in a before. very
1: kind of classic form. Yeah, it's
0: that, that's so. Inter- that's what's amazing about this medium, is that all of these forms, which were the primary forms yeah. of entertainment, yeah, you know, before anything. That's right. Are, are I mean, now the back. Great,
1: the great gift now, of course, is that we have mobility, which means that you're not stuck sitting in an armchair glue to your radio you can hear you can hear this sure anywhere and do you guys record as a cast yeah we yeah. record we recorded as a cast we record uh um i did um i did all my scene i did my my scene with joe maniello you know in front of me uh and uh i which is kind of unusual, because very often you record on your own. Yeah. But, but this scene was so kind of intense that it was, you know, Oliver Vaquer, who's our writer and, and one of the producers, he felt that it was important that we could see each other and play off each other. And, and with that, that made a big difference. Made yeah. Big difference. Um, and it's, a, it's a, and now, of course, it's all, of, you know, now all episodes are
0: available. Sure. Wherever you get your podcast. Yeah. Just download uh, them and go ahead. Yeah enjoy your drive exactly have I, a good time I, I, at th- the
1: gym this is the thing i'm i'm <laughs> hearing this a lot now people are saying that they they love their podcasts cuz it kind of it they listen to them on their commute Oh yeah, man! You know, and it's, and it's a habit that I've started to get into now. Yeah, I, I, I'm downloading podcasts now and listening to them while I'm driving.
0: Sure, people do it at the gym, they do it at the commute, they yeah, do it secretly yeah. at work. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put yeah. <laughs> your headphones back up. Well, it was great talking to you. Oh, thank you, Mark. Likewise, that likewise. was that, that was uh, that was fun. And are you? Uh, oh, you were great in Vice too. That one scene, you had the thank one you. sort of high satire scene right. of uh, <laughs> of that movie. Did uh, what did Adam just call you up? And yeah,
1: go, well, he, uh, Adam because I do some work for uh i'd done um you know uh some work before with with funny or die you know the, yeah. those guys and and um they uh he just called me and said you know he said i've got two parts they're not big but either one is yours yeah and i looked at the script and i i, I love the script and I, and I said let me do the waiter yeah you know because that's uh that's that's in and out <laughs> i mean literally in and out so, yeah. and i said let me do the waiter and i'll do it without a credit you know, so it, so hopefully it'll be a nice surprise, and if it's not, no one will blame me.
0: <laughs> well, again, <laughs> you know? Bob Hoskins rule. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so there's no credit. No, so I don't get credited. No, I'm not credited. Uh, what do you are you got? A, are you working on a movie now? Yeah, I'm. Uh,
1: there's a couple of movies. Uh, in the, I, I did a, a, a film called um, uh, The Devil Has a Name, uh, directed by Edward James Olmos, who's mm. a who's a chum. Um, and that's that'll be out that's due out this year uh there's also a movie called saint Judy which uh, with michelle Monahan that um we're now we now think it's going to be released round about uh middle of february end of february um I played a part in it but i was also i also uh, executive producer- i was one of the executive producers on that uh-huh uh and uh yeah so there's there's a couple of films in the can and and i'm I'm working on a movie that I hope to direct later this year Have anymore. you directed before never Oh. never. Perhaps that's why no one's returning my phone calls, but uh, I, I, I will persevere. <laughs> okay. Is it something you always wanted to do? or <laughs> It is, it is, and I'm, I'm. I, you know, It's. I've left it, I haven't left it too late, I don't think, but I've certainly, um, you know, people say, you've never directed before, do you think you can direct? I say, well, I've, I've been on enough movies to know that, I, I know what not to do, let's yeah. put it that way, I I, sure. I know, I think I know how to avoid mistakes, and I know how to run, I, I know what what makes a day not go well yeah yeah it's it's all about the dp yeah it's all about the dp it's all about the dp and it's all about your assistant director as yeah, well right
0: know. ad and the dp yeah that's they're, and they're, then you you just pretend that you don't let anyone see how confused and frightened you are that's right yeah and, and,
1: and, and I, 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 there was one there was one thing a director i worked with i said i said what if i said if i was if i was to direct a director of film what would be your one piece of advice and he said always have a decision when people ask you what they what you want them to do, always have an answer, even if it's the wrong one. Right, right. He said the worst thing you can do is kind of go. uh, I'm, I'm not sure. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> then nobody knows. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Molina, where do you want the camera? There. Yeah, even right. if there is yeah, totally yeah. the wrong place, right. someone will say, "Are you sure?" Then you go, "No, I'm not sure." Here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at least have you? because know, yeah, that, you- that instill at least if, if 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 you're if you have if you've made up your mind about yeah. something at least it got, it's reassuring right sure you they know. know someone's in charge <laughs> <laughs>
0: alright man thanks a lot my pleasure that was great I learned some things that I didn't know about that scene how genius was that Again, uh, Alfred is a. You can see him in everything he's ever been in, which could take a lifetime. But he's also the voice actor on the 10 part narrative mystery podcast, The Angel of Vine, available wherever you get your podcast. And don't forget as well, studies show that security systems deter burglars, which is why securing your home is truly a necessity at Simply Safe they believe fear has no place in a place like home. So, they make Simply Safe ridiculously smart with 24/7 monitoring for just 14.99 a month. So go with home security you can trust. Simply Safe by heading over to WTF.com today. That's WTF.com. It's early in the morning and uh, and I and w- me getting excited about a new angle on an old rip. <laughs> Probably uh, Made my neighbors hate me at 8.30 in the morning on a Sunday. Okay, here we go.